0: Welcome to Holy Fools and the Soul of Craftwork. I'm Dr. Jesse Joyner.
1: And I'm Dr. Steve Gross. If you're new to the podcast, Jesse and I are both PhDs in education and people of faith with a curiosity about craft learning and practice as a means of spiritual formation. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the previous episode in which we interviewed Master Beekeeper Paul Knight, good idea to pause and give it a listen because this episode is based on that. And it hopes to take the insights gained from the craft of beekeeping and consider learning transfer to our own approaches to faith and work. So Jesse, that concept of learning transfer, it's pretty core to our podcast. Why?
0: Yes, we have a beloved PhD advisor named Donald Guthrie, and he says, everything is connected to everything. So at first glance, one person's work might look very different from another person's work. But we believe there are themes and lessons common to everyone's work, no matter what type of work we're in. The challenge is sometimes this transfer can take a little extra labor, uh, kind of like the labor of building a bridge. And that that's what learning and education is all about. So we want to aid in that for you today, for you, our
1: listeners. So utilizing our backgrounds in education and learning for Jesse and I, our hope is that when you hear these podcasts, they're more than entertaining, but also there's a piece of formation. So our general pace will be interview one week, and then the next week, learning transfer podcast based on that interview, and then giving you two weeks of space to actually practice some of the things that you took away from it. Because a general concept in learning is in the West, we lean pretty heavy on content acquisition and not so much on reflective practice. So, our hope is through the Holy Fools podcast that you get a chance to actually reflect, practice, and reflect again on your own integration of faith and work. So, Jesse, let's talk about beekeeping. So, you, we had a great interview with Paul. He was generous. He was thoughtful. Um, and also, he was pretty vulnerable with his mistakes and, and the things he was into with beekeeping. So what were some of your kind of initial takeaways?
0: It was really neat to hear about the process of beekeeping and the knowing his passion for the product and seeing people's reactions when they get to taste that honey.
1: Now, weren't you in Croatia a couple of weeks ago, and you were at a castle, and the breakfast buffet had big chunks of actual honeycomb that you could eat like a vampire?
0: They, they did. It was a, there was an actual honeycomb at this breakfast spread, and it was dripping honey that you could like put a bowl under and collect your honey from this honeycomb. Right. Yeah, they're they, they're known for lo- for really good honey in that region as well. Yeah. Yeah. What's something that jumped out to you? Just a curiosity from the interview. Yeah. With Paul.
1: I didn't know that bees make honey, but also royal jelly, which is something mm-hmm. they feed to the queen and it makes her live maybe 20 times longer than the worker bees. So just by eating my, a few uh,
0: extra days longer than them. Yeah.
1: Royal jelly. That's my advice or my takeaway from Paul's interview. So one of the core questions that we ask in this podcast of the people we interview, the craft people that we interview is how is the experience of the craft work of beekeeping, for example, how has that helped form you spiritually? And I remember Paul's quote. It was one of those kind of golden moments you get in an interview. He said, my natural instinct is to go, go. And I worked on staff with Paul. His staff is like a beehive. It is always going. But he said, my instinct is to go, go. So for me to ratchet back has been important. And when I don't slow down while I'm doing this beekeeping, it's not good. I get stung and it hurts. So it introduced the idea of slow practice or a slow pace toward this craft work. And that has resonance in some learning literature. And what have you found, Jesse?
0: Yeah, that really jumped out to me as well, too, when he said, you can't rush the bees. If you do, they will hurt you. Yeah. And I, I think that's so applicable to all the other kinds of work, the the idea of slowing down. There was a theorist and art critic and historian from the 19th century. His name is John Ruskin. Here's a quote from Ruskin. He said, No moving at 100 miles an hour, nor making things at 1,000 yards a minute, will make us one wit stronger, happier, or wiser. A yeah. fool always wants to shorten space and time. A wise man wants to lengthen both. The really precious things are thought and sight, not pace. Yeah. yeah, when I first saw this years ago, this quote, which it stuck with me, the idea that increasing the speed of things in life, he was and he was talking about the the the, the steam locomotive engine back then in the nineteenth century. Like if you speed up the traveling of people and goods, it doesn't make us any wiser. Uh, it, it's It's just moving things at a faster pace wisdom is really what's most important i recently read an article about a group of castle enthusiasts in the burgundy region of france who are building a 13th century castle today like in the year 2023 and they're Mm -hmm. building it using 13th century methods tools and uh, you know ways of life so it's kind of like a renaissance fair but (laughs) <laughs> but all in, like these people are trying to stay true to the way that castles were built back then and using materials, tools, and methods like of that time. There's a name for hammers this and chisel Yeah, hammers and chisels. There's a name for this. It's called experimental archaeology. and these these are people that study a thing of the past by actually doing it the way it was done in the past, right? Yeah. And so in today's world of speed and technology, Almost any form of living out the activities of our predecessors means slowing down. The one exception, I think, Steve, would be standing in line at the DMV. What do you think?
1: <laughs> Murder.
0: That's probably Murder. gotten a little bit slower. Uh, th- this group of castle enthusiasts, they are, they're spending decades to build this. They've already been at it for over 20 years. And it's probably going to take another 10, 15, or 20 more years to finish this castle that they're building. It's currently mm-hmm. open to tourists and school groups, so you can come and watch what they're doing and learn about the ways of building things in the 13th century. Uh, but according to this article that I read, um, it's an NPR article by Beardsley and Bausan and, and we'll put the, the link in the show notes. They say the builders say it could take 10, 15, or 20 more years to build but they, the builders, are okay with that. It's not about finishing the project, they say. It's about the things they learn and discover while building. And so when we think about education, how do speed and pace factor in to the journey of learning? Yeah. And, and there's a name for this in the literature. It's called it's it's called the slow education movement. And if you've heard of the slow food movement, This takes, this takes its cue from that, you know, like the slow food movement, you know, kind of going against like the fast food mentality of this world, slowing down, letting food take its right course of like growing slowly and raising uh, our food slowly and on a human pace or on the, actually the pace of the, of the food itself, like, like wherever we're gathering our food, whether from plants or animals, doing it much slower than this, this, this industry that's just trying to maximize and optimize and, and earn a profit. Slow education does the same thing with with learning. So instead of this conveyor belt mentality of just get get these kids through the the, the assembly line of, of school and get them to get their grades and achieve a, a, a final end product of XYZ, uh, the slow education movement tries to push push against any kind of industrialization of the education, models and slow it down in some way and uh, so in in the example of of paul he had to go at the pace of the bees not himself uh, which is letting him let the context of his environment dictate his learning process and working speed what does that sound like to you steve some of these some of these highlights yeah
1: for sure Education literature and movements are picking up this idea of slowing down, being more deliberate, being more learner focused in context with custom learning plans. And I, I think that that's true. And, and, and you see it in different ways. I saw it and I've been reading a book and, and teaching it with young adults called The Restless Elimination of Hurry. And one of the concepts that the author brings forward is the idea of deliberately driving slow. So he has mm-hmm. three concepts in there in the slow driving movement. I don't know how big that is, but he says, one, drive the speed limit, actually drive the speed limit. Second, get into the slow lane on purpose. And third, come to a full stop at stop signs. Now that That's sounds the insane. And yeah. if you're a UPS driver, that will definitely get you fired. But the, the concept is to pick some things in your life that you're going to purposely slow down, slowing down your mind and your body to the pace that your soul can catch up. I thought then that's intriguing I think it it corresponds well with both what Paul said about his his work with bees as well as the slow food slow cooking slow education and in all aspects of life you can approach slowly I mean that's just not realistic but are there ways or the concepts in which we can maybe even thoughtfully slow down and stop the pace of multitasking and I think that pushes us quickly There's a power quote from Walter Brueggemann, he says in his book, Sabbath as Resistance, he writes, multitasking is the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do. Such practices yield a divided self with full attention given to nothing. And that feels like a kind of our buffet of options and choices and a speed to basically go to the buffet and eat it like fast food rather than to enjoy a single meal and just contemplate that so i think that would be spiritually formative if if we can get into practices and consider our own our own work rhythms our own life rhythms and say are there things i can deliberately do slower that might slow down my mind and my body a bit so my soul can catch up and i can actually attend to things and be present and that's one of the reasons that we really like the the um, concept of craft practice and craft learning. Because if you notice from Paul's example, in a couple of weeks from now, we're going to interview Bear Reed. He's this huge Viking who's a blacksmith and shoes horses for a living. And he'll say like, Paul, if you try to shoe horses too quickly, they'll kick you. So you're going to get hurt. And so the concept of a lot of craft learning and craft doing is that if you go too fast, too, too hurried at different bespoke work, either you're going to get hurt or you're gonna hurt the work. I think about my friend Jonas, who lives in Sweden and he makes high-end smoking pipes. He works with really expensive briar wood. I think you can only get in Italy. And so he makes these pipes out of this very expensive material. And though the pipes won't hurt him, if he tries to go too quickly through that process, he'll actually hurt the material. So again, that that practice of craft doing actually speaks back to the practitioners that, hey, I got to go slow because either I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to hurt this bespoke work I'm doing. So that's our concept now in learning transfers to think through. For you in your own life, what aspects of slow, slow doing, slow learning can you embrace? And so we have a couple of ideas.
0: In the spirit of beekeeping, I would suggest find an animal, creature, or bug in nature and observe it for like five minutes at least. More if you have more time. But spend five minutes just watching an animal. Pay attention to the pace of that creature. How fast or slow are they going about their business? What would happen to that creature if they were somehow rushed in their work? Quote, unquote. Let what you learn from that, let us take in what we learned from this little nature study and let that sink into our lives and our work. What would that mean for us to, to, to slow down in some way, shape or form? in our work and in our pra- daily practices.
1: So this was your learning transfer point. It's a good one. How did you come up with it? And have you done it?
0: Not yet, but I need to. I, yeah. you know, well, I take that back. Maybe I was influenced. I went on a bike ride this morning with my wife and son. And as we were eating a snack at one of the picnic tables at this park, there was a little bug kind of there. He wasn't moving much, but he was kicking his legs around a little bit. And we were staring at it and commenting on it. And my wife had my son count how many legs it had. It had six legs. And it did make us slow down and just look at this little tiny creature. And it's fascinating. You kind of pick up more than you expect if you just stop for a minute and look at this creature and and try to identify something new that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there were some birds darting around around us, too. It's It's migratory season still. So there was like a little warbler I couldn't positively identify what type it was. Um, And then some Eastern bluebirds flying around that with their beautiful blue and then the, and then the orange on their breast. So I do, I do love taking in the creatures and the animals, but there's so much to learn from them and, and observing their pace and asking what can that do to our pace?
1: You're tapping into some wisdom literature. You see Proverbs 6, 6 says, consider the ant and how the ant works. And so that's actually a really old tradition of Thinking mm-hmm. about creation, taking a lesson from it, and just being able to take that lesson would mean and necessitate you slowing down. Yeah, so not only the process of looking, but also then learning from what you're seeing. Yeah, it's a win-win, I, Jesse.
0: What's a practical uh, takeaway for you that we can work on together?
1: Yeah, my my, my challenge is, and I'm going to embrace this as well. Is is there a practice, an aspect of your work this week? that you can slow down, that would slow down your mind and body to let your soul catch up. So that's not true of every aspect of your work. Again, there are some things you need to do fast and we want to be realistic with this. But is there something that you do in work, a rhythm or a practice of work that you could intentionally slow down? So for me, uh, my, my day job is minister. I'm a minister. And so I preach every Sunday and It's pretty common after a service is over that you meet people at the door. And kind of what you see on movies is you have a a pastor and he's at the door and he's shaking every person's hand. Well, when you have 200 people, let's say at a service, that's not possible. Or not for a really relaxed, actually being present and being human to other people moment. So um, my challenge that came to mind was in those times after I've, I've finished teaching and people are exiting, I do wanna interact with people, but maybe just focus in on two or three people that I can be present to, I can look at, maintain eye contact with, get to know their story. Just take time, get slow and be there with them rather than try to gland hand every person in a superficial way. So that came to my mind, slow that down. How about yourself, any any rhythm of your own work that you can slow down?
0: Yeah, I'm teaching a seminar tomorrow on uh, children's ministry. It's a children's ministry training day. Uh, that, that I'm one facilitator for. And I've learned from my, from my own teaching experiences that when I lecture or just talk, 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 I can just go on and on and I can maybe talk fast and try to cover right. so much content. But I've found that learning does work better when I slow down and when I Step away from the microphone and hand over questions for the learners to ponder and and discuss amongst themselves. And that takes that takes a lot of patience on my part as a teacher, to to just step away from the control of the platform and actually hand over that control into the learners themselves. Let them wrestle with it, and then we kind of dialogue about it together, whatever the content that we're learning about, uh, and learn from one another because adult learners have a lot of experience to bring to the table and and share with one another. So. Um, so yeah, that's, that's for me and like in my work that I can continue to lean into in terms of
1: slowing down. So again, Jesse and I are both teachers. We teach and communicate in different ways. That might not be your work practice and your integration of faith and work, but consider what might be a practice, a part of your work rhythm that you can slow down deliberately and allow yourself rest. It's like a mini Sabbath. Think of a mini Sabbath during your work day that you can slow down and then notice what you notice from it. Or also from creation. What did you notice as you slow down to look at um, what has been designed so intentionally? So again, a, a big thanks to Paul for his um, for his insight as a, a beekeeper. And uh, there's more to come.
0: There's more to come. On the next episode of Holy Fools, we will interview multiple Guinness World Record holder David Kane and consider what we may learn from him and the craft of juggling and illusions. Yes. yes.
1: This episode of The Soul of Craftwork is brought to you by the Roaring Fork Fellows Program. Are you a 19 through 29-year-old interested in starting well in your career for the Strong Faith and Work Foundation? The Roaring Fork Fellows Program is a nine-month internship for young adults located between Aspen and Vail in the Roaring Fork Valley of Colorado. For more information, go to RoaringForkFellows.com.